0: fellowship and love
1: hello and welcome to connecting the dots i'm your host mark shea and we are here again as we are here every time to talk about uh life the universe and everything from a catholic perspective and uh, today we are having on the show uh, Destiny Herndon De La Rosa. She has been on our show before. Uh, the last time she was on the show, she's the, she's the head of New Wave Feminists. It's a uh, feminist pro-life organization. Uh, the last time we had you on the show, Destiny, you were in trouble with the Women's March, if memory serves. What, can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so last time I did the show actually was right after we had been removed as sponsors from the Women's March, which it was still, I I wasn't, I didn't grasp what a big deal that was going to be because they just kind of. (laughs) Quietly removed us. We were sponsors for four glorious days. We were on their website. And then one day I was actually doing a Skype to a university. I do a presentation. So I was doing a presentation on pro-life feminism and I get off the Skype and all of a sudden someone from Rolling Stone calls me and they're like, hey, you've been kicked out of the Women's March. Do you have an opinion on that? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, this is actually the first I'm hearing of it, but I will formulate an opinion. I will call you back in three minutes. And so over the next two weeks, um, it's funny because I actually spoke to you at the very beginning of it. Mm -hmm. So I figure you're like my good luck charm, right? I talked to Mark Shea and then within, you know, a week we were doing New York Times and we were on NPR and Vice. And the coolest thing was being able to spread this consistent life ethic message with the actual audience that needs to hear it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah we're in the echo chamber. You know this. I mean, talking yeah. to other people who are pro-life, but how often do we actually get to, to bridge that gap and talk to the people who really need this message and they're hungry for it. That's yeah. what we felt.
1: Well, um, I, I appreciate being a good luck charm. However, I did wind up having my foot cut off and attached to somebody's keychain, So that was, that was a pain. Wow.
2: <laughs> okay. I won't go that far.
1: <laughs> okay. But anyway, so um, yeah. And so that Happened the last time we had you on, so you were uh, a, a pariah uh to the left that time this time, I wanted to have you on the show uh, because now you 've become a, a pariah to <laughs> to the right, <laughs> to the the right of the real life here. movement so talk yeah, a little well, bit about you. You wrote an essay for the Dallas Morning News the other day. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So I wrote an essay about how I was sick of being used by the GOP. You know, we have a lot of politicians who they're anti-abortion, which I absolutely stand with them a hundred percent in that. Mm-hmm. But then they end up enacting a lot of policies that actually, in my opinion, lead women to seeking abortion. We're not making it, you know, um, easy, easier for them to choose life. And one of the things you learn when sidewalk counseling um, outside of abortion clinics, you know, I've always gone out there to offer women options so that they know that there are nonviolent choices that they can make and we're here to support them. But The very first thing you do is you take a woman to a pregnancy center and you get her a proof of pregnancy and the proof of pregnancy allows her then to get on Medicaid, which is a wonderful program, covers 100 percent of the expenses for her childbirth and um, does a really great job of taking care of women. But the problem is when when you're standing out there with this pro-life conviction, but then you're also pushing kind of a pro-government agenda and then you turn around and vote for politicians that want to take the very thing that's helping you support women away sometimes. Right. it becomes very complicated and right. so in this election right now in Texas it's very heated we have Ted Cruz running against Beto O'Rourke and I voted for Cruz in the past I've met the guy he's nice enough um, I agree with his policies when it comes to abortion but then he also talks about making the sand glow in other countries through bombing them and right. you know these other policies that um, I think actually hurt the whole life uh, perspective and so I've had to compromise for so long. You know, the Republicans are the ones who taught me how to compromise my beliefs. Right. But now that it's not working in their favor, they're very upset about it because I did decide to cast my ballot for um, O'Rourke. And a lot of people said, I'm putting other issues ahead. You know, he talks about the opioid crisis. He talks about the fact that 20 veterans a day commit suicide in this country. So we're basically starting, you know, going and and starting these wars and then not taking care of the men and women coming back. Um, He talks about, mental health care issues and just health care in general, how we need to be doing better. All of these things are very important to me. But abortion is still the the number one thing that I vote, you know, in accordance to. And the fact that um, people don't realize that this is my pro-life vote is voting for a man who I think is actually going to create the support systems that will make it easier for women to choose life. That's what's so insane to me, because they're not they're not even willing to listen to my logic and say, "Okay, I disagree with you, but I get where you're coming from." Instead, right. it is, "You voted for a Democrat, you're going to burn in hell now."
1: Right. Yeah, uh I believe me, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, uh and and you're right. Uh the the thing that uh, I think absolutely has to be addressed and is not being addressed is that there are two approaches to uh, the question of abortion. Uh, you can approach it from the standpoint of supply, and you can s- approach it from the standpoint of demand. Absolutely. A- and what uh, the, the, the monomaniac approach of the pro-life movement for the last 38 years has been, we must uh, end supply. That's it. That's that's the goal. And supply just... And the way that's supposed to happen, always, is you vote Republican, they will put Republicans on the Supreme Court who lie that I'm not going to do anything about Roe uh, because I'm neutral, but really we know, wink, wink, that they're actually going to overturn Roe. Uh, and, and the problem is... That hasn't happened, uh, you know we've been talking about well, if we can just get a Republican majority on the court, well, guess what? We had a Republican majority on the court uh in nineteen seventy three That Republican majority gave us Roe v. Wade. We had a Republican majority on the court in nineteen ninety two where it was if memory serves, there were seven Republicans and one pro-life Democrat. And that's the year they gave us the Casey decision.
2: Uh (laughs) I mean, when are we going to get the point that the government is not going to save us? We are the ones who have to save ourselves. And that's why this has to be addressed from a cultural perspective. And so I don't, I don't, you know, bag on anybody who's going after the political side of it. But in my mind, voting is the laziest form of activism out there. Like Mm -hmm. it's seriously easy. So when you go cast a vote and say, I've done my pro-life duty. No, you haven't. Have you helped a mother whose child was born with special needs, who she was pressured into abortion and instead she chose life like you told her to, but now, you know, can't can't even work outside of the home because she has to live below a certain poverty level in order to qualify for secondary healthcare and Medicaid and all these things. I mean, there are so many things that are conflicting and contradictory about a pro-life message. And ultimately, when we step up in our communities and help one another and see that mother who does not get a break and her whole life changed when she had this child that she loves so much, that's a valuable human being, but was born with a disability, the most powerful thing you can do rather than spending an hour voting We'd be spending an hour going to her house and giving her a break so she can take a shower right. or love on her other kids for a minute and give them some undivided attention. Like there are so many ways that just from a cultural perspective, our activism, you know, by just voting is not, it's not nearly enough. And so we've got to wake people up to the fact that this is so much, it's so much bigger than just who we cast our vote for. Right. Uh, and I think for me personally, a couple of years ago, You know, once I did start seeing through a lot of I think there are good Republicans who really are pro-life to their core. I think there are many that, as you say, use the unborn as human shields to defend Mm -hmm. a lot of bad behavior. and, And it's just lip service. And when I realized a few years ago that if suddenly abortion were off the table, if suddenly it was no longer an issue that anyone was fighting, How many people would leave the Republican Party and become Democrat overnight because then they would go on chronologically to the next issue that's a life issue, whether it's war or death penalty or, you know, euthanasia, torture, like any of these other things that they would set their rights to, suddenly there would be this mass exodus from the Republican Party. And so I think Republicans know the only way to stay in power is to keep this a divisive hot button issue. And I think that's why I'm getting so much heat because I'm shaking that up by saying pro-lifers can even vote for Democrats. Because as you said, it's a supply and demand type issue. And until we take away the demand, the supply will always be there. You cannot enforce laws that most of the populace doesn't agree with. The right. reason that abortion and rape are illegal is because we understand the humanity of the born person, and we understand that they should not have violence used against them. But until people see the unborn child in that same way, we won't be able to enforce these laws. I don't think women will be having back alley abortions. I think they'll still be having them in doctor's offices from doctors who are sympathetic to the pro-choice cause, because we have failed at humanizing the unborn exactly. on a mass scale.
1: Exactly. I think one of the things that I think that, the, the, the the things that you have said that I think is profound uh, is that you've said, and I I agree with you one hundred percent. Is that uh, the goal has to be not not to make abortion illegal, but to make it unthinkable. Uh, that if you if you have a society that says no, we can't, this is unthinkable. We can't do it. That's where the laws come from uh in ancient rome the uh the practice of uh, uh gladiatorial games was it it was centuries old it was just woven into the culture it was the it was part of the way that you entertained yourself and what happened was the early christian church which had not all that much power politically but the early christian church shamed Rome into saying, we can't do this anymore. Uh, Christian monks ran into the arena and said, for God's sake, forbear. And the Roman population couldn't look themselves in the mirror anymore. They couldn't do it. And that's when the games were outlawed. Uh,
2: well, if you look at any atrocity that has ever taken place and that we have been on you know, the right side of history, it is because the, the people on the right side of history are always the one who see the humanity of people who are being stripped of their humanity, right. whether it's. Jews or minorities, um, you know, when we see the humanity of the unborn, then it's absolutely appalling. And I understand the hysteria, but unfortunately, we are at a 45-year gridlock here where that hysteria is not enough. At this point, we have to work to be effective. And unfortunately, being in these echo chambers, you know, telling each other how great our arguments are and our science is there and our logic's there and our ethics are there when it comes to pro-life issues, that's fabulous. But unless we actually go to the other side, and start convincing Democrats and atheists and agnostics. And I mean, everybody like this is a it has to become a shift in cultural consciousness where we understand the humanity of the unborn person. And it's very hard to do when we are so busy dehumanizing the people on the other side, which we see, whether it's politicians or abortionists or whatever. The the MO of the pro-life movement for so long, unfortunately, has to been has been to other them, right? Right. Like, these are the bad guys. These are the monsters. Those people
1: are devils, yeah.
2: Right, and I mean, it's great for fundraising, but it's not actually effective for changing the culture.
1: Right. And more than that, uh, so much of the pro-life movement, and we're seeing this in spades since the election of Donald Trump, so much of the pro-life movement spends so much of its time not defending the unborn, but saying, well... You know, when he mocked that disabled reporter, that was really okay, because actually he mocks everybody, and so it was fine. And really, when you think about it, uh, he wasn't... He, bragging about sexual assault is really fine, because blah de blah, blah, blah And blah And you, you hear this constantly from people who self-identify as pro-life. You know, right now, the big thing that we're hearing is... Animals south of the border are coming to kill us all, and they're funded by the international Jewish bankers. And it's like, is that really what you want the pro-life movement? That's the ambient noise coming from the pro-life movement. It's intensely dehumanizing to huge numbers of different kinds of people
2: right and then people who you know i love their heart that they go on mission trips to south america and help brown people but the second those brown people are coming to them like you know gtfo we don't want anything to do with that right and yeah, so yeah should we have to be challenging their consistency from all sides because this is a whole human life perspective and if you understand the humanity of the unborn good for you that needs to be the the basis for it but if then you can't understand the humanity of the child at the border that's very disturbing to me and i question whether or not you're actually pro-life
1: right and that's really the problem is that like it or not what the pro-life movement must face uh is that in overwhelming percentages uh, the loudest people defending every disgusting, inhuman thing that the Trump administration does are people who then go on and and self-identify as pro-life. Uh, and very often, you know, I've seen this happen so many times. Someone will say, you know, it is wrong to separate children from their families at the border and cage them somewhere. And the response to that from the defender of this policy is, I bet you support abortion, don't you? And it's like, what do you mean by that? You know, that's a crazy thing to say. Uh,
2: uh, Well, and and I think, you know, the the counter to that is – you're against abortion, but you're okay with this, you know? And so we have this gridlock, we have this divide. And the problem is that both sides spend so much time um, justifying their own actions and compromising within their own parties that then they have no compromise with the other side. you know, We used to have a system where we might disagree on strategies, but everybody believed in being good people for the most part and treating others they wanted to be treated. Yep. But now we, we've lost our ability to compromise with the other side and find common ground solutions because we're freaking exhausted. We're exhausted from compromising within our own party and having to defend things that we know are indefensible. And I would just challenge conservatives and Democrats alike when you see evil call it out no matter if there's an R behind the name or a d behind the name it doesn't matter yeah. bad policy and bad actions need to be called out by everyone and i think that adds to all of our credibility when we do that and we demand better from elected officials and community organizers and pro-life leaders and pro-choice leaders i mean the, the thing again is that humans are infallible you know are, are sorry are fallible Mm-hmm. um it is something where we all make mistakes i don't know if my vote for veto was a good thing i might have made a huge mistake i really really don't know but i do see a lot of conversations starting about the things that i think are important and for the first time i'm seeing conversations between pro-life and pro-choice people mm-hmm. not just everyone staying in their echo chamber and and you know
1: well that's of, the goal
2: Yeah. 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 That has to be the goal. if We want to be effective.
1: My own reasoning uh, uh, with this election, you know, every election is going to be different. But I think that right now we're living in a really extraordinary time in American history. Um, And my own moral calculus uh, has shifted uh, with with the rise of Trumpism. And the moral calculus, uh, I'm, I'm speaking as a Catholic, uh, just for listeners' sake. Destiny is not a Catholic. Uh, <laughs> but um, my own moral calculus with this is, is simply this, that we don't, there is no, we don't have a pro-life party in the United States. It's a fiction to say uh, that the Republican Party is a pro-life party. Sure, they've got some blah-de-blah in their platform. Big deal. Uh, The reality, you know, with politics, always what you do is don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Uh, Well, here's reality. Uh, One party in the United States is 100% responsible for the establishment and the entrenchment of our abortion regime. The other party is the Democrats. Uh, One party has refunded Planned Parenthood eight times since the inauguration of Donald Trump. The other party is the Democrats. Uh, So we have two parties that uh, both uh, support our abortion regime. Uh, One of them uh, basically says, let's just keep Roe the way it is. They're they're the maintenance party. That's the Democrats. The other party (laughs) pretends to care about abortion, dangles a carrot, has dangled that carrot for 38 years in front of the noses of uh, uh, pro-life Christians uh, and has said, any day now, really, seriously, we're going to actually do something about this. Uh, every time they get reelected, they offer a participation trophy called the Mexico City Policy. And with that participation trophy, pro-lifers then go to work defending not the unborn, but war in Iraq, a policy of torture, uh, uh, sending 15,000 troops to the border to have hysterics over a non-existent threat from a non-existent invading army made up of unarmed men women and children who are desperate Uh, you know the death penalty uh, cutting off Medicare and Medicaid to old people and poor mothers so that you know what what happens to the old people if they don't have Medicaid they die because they (laughs) that's where you know most end-of-life treatment surprisingly takes place is at the end of your life Uh, and it's very expensive Uh, you know poor mothers uh they can't afford to give birth what are they being pressured to do they're being pressured to abort is it, that's what you're talking about is is if you have policies that drastically increase demand it's ridiculous to talk about cutting off supply because the demand will be met somebody you're gonna people are gonna go and seek an abortion one way or another if you put enormous pressure on them to abort. That's going to happen. That's one of the effects of economics. And so we've got these two parties, uh, both of which support abortion in their own ways, uh, but one of them also supports all kinds of other evils. Uh, and And so... My calculation is you can't as a Catholic uh you often hear people say, Well, you can you can support the lesser of two evils. No, you can't. Uh the way that's often been worked so for example, uh ten years ago when the Republican Party was uh championing uh the use of torture, you had people who said, I support torture. Uh, But that's okay because I'm against abortion. As though, you know, being against abortion somehow gave you a 007 to commit other grave sins. Uh, You can't be in favor of a lesser evil, but here's what you can do. You can lessen evil. You can look at, okay, there's two parties. Both of them support abortion, but one of them also supports a ton of other grave evils. So I will... uh, I want to get rid of that party that's doing not just support for abortion, but all this other evil. Uh, So you can vote for the party uh, that will help get rid of that party. And I have absolutely no moral qualms about that. Uh, So, you know, I I would, I tell people, not merely that I have a clean conscience. If I were in Texas, I would absolutely vote for O'Rourke. And I wouldn't do it merely with a clean conscience, but I would do it with with the sense that I have to support Democrats this year because I regard the party of Trump as the gravest domestic threat that the United States has faced since the Civil War.
2: Absolutely, and I would, I would even say, you know, people kept asking me, like, what's wrong with Cruz? What's so bad about Cruz? I voted for Cruz twice here in Texas. One of my best friends works for him. Like, I've met the guy. I, he's weird, but I mean, I don't vote <laughs> <of me>. for. <laughs> um, I think he's, you know, a constitutional conservative, and that's all great. Well, in the past, he has been running. I think mostly with with texas as his goal caring about texas but now i believe he is building up this presidential run report card right Mm -hmm. and we have seen how divided this nation has gotten and how these extreme um polarized positions have taken place to where you cannot run as a republican unless you 100 percent support trump and everything he does and anytime a republican politician is even critical of some of his policies they just get raked over the coals and so if i know for a fact that this one man likely is going to take another another shot at the presidency, and he is going to have to adhere to these extreme policies, whether he believes in his heart that they're good, um, I know that he's no longer focused on Texas, and yet right. you have another man who, I don't know what his political aspirations are, but I know right now, at least, he wants to make Texas a better place, and even if that's because someday he's going to run for president, fine, whatever, but in the meantime, he is going to serve the women and children of Texas mm-hmm. well, and I will... I'll also add that, you know, I speak to groups, uh, colleges mostly, all over the country, and I have rooms full of pro-life people, and my goal is kind of to make them feminist, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's where, as a pro-life feminist, you probably love and you hate me. You know, if if you love me because I'm pro-life, you hate me because I'm a feminist and vice versa. So when Mm -hmm. I speak to these pro-life groups, my goal is to talk about, rape culture and what consent looks like and you know all of these things that i think are very important on college campuses and i get to have an audience that most liberal feminists don't because i have a lot of men in my audiences because they're part of these pro-life clubs okay so last saturday i went to the Beto rally and i was suddenly surrounded by a completely different audience i had about 30 people standing around in the circle we had gotten there early and they were all kind of you know popcorning out different things that they loved about them and i spoke up and i said this will be the first Democrat I've ever voted for. And they look at me with my purple hair and tattoos. And I get <laughs> that. Like, clearly I'm lying. Right. And then I went on to talk about how I was a pro-life feminist who subscribed to something called the consistent life ethic. And right. suddenly I had 30 people who would never listen to a pro-life message out of anyone else's mouth, taking me seriously. And it's that old adage that they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Yeah. And so when they see me caring about, born people and, you know, children at the border and all of the other struggles that women are facing. Suddenly they start to say, okay, well, clearly you're not crazy, crazy because you agree with me on all these other issues and I'm a highly intelligent person. So maybe there's something to mm-hmm. this whole, you know, abortion thing. And the fact that it is the weakest and most vulnerable human beings, like they are the most marginalized group in our nation. So it's just a matter of finding that audience and pulling out the consistency from within them. Yeah. And we do it when we're stuck in uh, in in one political party, um, and especially when when we are in the Republican Party and we're not challenging them about war and immigration and healthcare and all these other issues, right. because we're so busy trying to protect this, you know, golden calf of of abortion, um, you know, or, of Roe being overturned. Right. That's where all the focus is, and you're not seeing a lot of challenges. And I found that Democrats are actually much more willing to listen to me than Republicans are. So yeah. I think about the feminist label, the second they hear that, they are done with me. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we've... Uh, I've talked about this in the past on the show. One of the marks of heresy uh, is that heresy always takes something that's really good uh, and turns it into the only thing that matters so the sort of the archetypal he- heresy in the history of the entire church was the arian heresy and what the arian the the, the the diabolical genius of the arian heresy was that it took the greatest thing in the whole universe that is god the father and turned him into an idol so that what the Arians said was, God the Father is it. That's all there is. The Son is not God. The Holy Spirit is not God. Nothing matters more than God the Father. And in doing that, they turned God the Father into an idol, uh, because, in fact, other things did matter, Uh why does god the son matter because god the father says that he matters this is my beloved son listen to him uh and and that's how heresy always works it takes something that's really good and turns it into the only thing that matters and it really doesn't matter what that good thing is but if you turn it into your monomaniac focus then you're going to do damage uh To the rest of the faith, you're going to do damage to the universe. You're going to do damage to the human race. Uh, What the pro-life movement in the United States has done has taken a very good thing, the unborn child, and turned that child into a weapon against all kinds of other things. Uh, uh, he's. It's turned the unborn child into a weapon against the refugee, into a weapon uh, against the poor, into uh, a weapon that is being wielded by racists. Uh, so you, you'll get, for example, um, uh, I, I've seen this happen. Uh, I saw a pro-life priest one time took this cartoon that it turns out is was drawn by a neo-Nazi racist, Uh, and the cartoon was all about protecting the family. What the cartoon was actually talking about was protecting the white race. Uh, So you need to protect the white race, and that's your family, uh, is the white race. Uh, And so you can do this. You can can turn the pro-life movement into a kind of a white fertility cult. Uh, and and that's being done uh and and, and of course the, the 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 diabolical genius always is that if you criticize in any way uh uh the monomaniac focus on whatever the good thing is well then that means you, you must hate you know the Aryan said well you then you hate God the father uh and and
2: you the hate, you you hate the unborn you I mean, hate the. Right. I've been called pro-bullying more times this week than ever in my life. And I love when you use the term that, you know, the unborn are the the human shields. Yeah. That this is something that is supposed to protect all these other atrocities on one side because we right. have the unborn. And, you know, as all of these pro-life leaders who... I don't think they're bad people because I refuse to dehumanize them in the way that they dehumanize others. I think they're good people. I think they're so entrenched in their echo chambers. They don't know how to get out. But as they've been calling me out, um, my husband was saying this morning, like, he keeps looking at the numbers on New Wave Feminists on our Facebook page. We were expecting it to drop in the thousands. We've maybe lost 50 followers. Mm -hmm. And that was so encouraging to me because it told me we have been building the right type of tribe. We have who are consistent life ethicists. We have people who don't agree with my vote. That's why we don't endorse candidates because my vote is probably totally, you know, different than half the people on our page. That is absolutely fine. Like we need to be discussing ideas and not people. And so that's what we're here for. And, you know, so when my op-ed came out yesterday, I really felt like I... I burned some bridges, but when you burn all your bridges, you have no choice but to form a new path forward and form a new movement and form new um, activism. And the fact that, Um, so many people are hysterical over one way I voted, even though I've spent the last decade and a half of my life standing up for women and unborn children, really kind of showed me their true colors. But ultimately, I think there's a lot of fear in that, because they have had to compromise so much. They are so bloody and beaten, you know, going through the last election and all the compromises they had to make to get these Supreme Court justices, that now they feel like I'm kicking them when they're down. They are raw. And so they're taking this as an personal attack on them, which it's not. I love the pro-life community. The people are what make the community, not the leaders. And I'll say that all day long. I am not new wave feminist. New wave feminists is 43,000 women globally that are affecting change. We've got groups down in Argentina and Mexico City that are seeing levels of poverty we know nothing about here in America, where literally a pregnant woman is looking at her two living children and saying, if I have this child, I will be taking food out of the mouths of my living child children and they will die. And the solution is not to use violence against the unborn child it's to find food for all of them right and but we're not addressing it from that angle and so it's really encouraging to know I've had so many people message me um, that they stand with me and you know even if they disagree but actually a lot of them do agree with my vote um, that they still understand the reasoning behind it and so many of them are young people so we should not get discouraged by this it's just it's a fractured pro-life movement is an effective pro-life movement. The more representation we have in completely different um, political groups and religious groups and non-religious groups, you know, secular organizations, the better we are because at the end of the day, we have to have a seat at the table. And that's something pro-lifers Because they have such a fear of, you know, they don't call them pro-choice. They call them pro-abortion. And they won't sit down at the table with someone who works at Planned Parenthood. I will. Because if I don't take that seat at the table with someone who works at Planned Parenthood, guess who's going to take it? another person who works at Planned Parenthood. Right, So yeah. Now their voice is amplified, and the pro-life message isn't there at all. Yeah. And I hope to do the same when it comes to this local election. You know, we are more effective when we disperse and are out within, you know, the community and people who don't think the same way, but you can't do that when you're dehumanizing them.
1: Yeah, I think one of the great mistakes uh, that the uh, that the pro-life movement uh, made was precisely uh turning it into this kind of tr- tribal thing uh you know where 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 it's us and them and, and uh because what happens and 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 what you you're you are personally experiencing now the end result of this i have been and uh i've been pro-life from the moment roe v wade was decided that was you know, my embryonic political conscience was forming then. I, I think I was 14 years old or something when Roe v. Wade was was decided, and um, I've always been pro-life all my life. I have been pro-life, uh, and you know, this year and the last couple of years, you know, as I've said, uh, I, I'm facing some political realities said, look, Roe's not going anywhere, it's just not. Uh, we had 38 years, the GOP is not interested in, in changing this because it's to their benefit to not change it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and, uh, and plus, the, the political reality in the United States is that support for Roe v. Wade is at its highest levels in American history. Uh, more people support Roe v. Wade and want to keep it right where it is now than in, in any time in American history. Uh, and that comes to nearly 80%. Uh, last I saw was 71%. So.
2: Well, and and just to a point about that, Guttmacher did a study that said people who say they're pro-life are pro-life. They are anti-abortion. Right. So that's 100%, you know, that they, they feel strongly. People who say they're pro-choice, though, it's actually this wide spectrum where they right. believe in common sense restrictions. But, of course, we write them all off and we don't reach them because we just lump them all in as pro-abortion. They just they right. love abortion up till nine months. It's just not true.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is that, the 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 political reality of the United States has remained remarkably unchanged. you got about twenty percent of the American people who want abortion on demand without apology. You've also got twenty percent of the American people who they want to get rid of roe they want to outlaw abortion but the the vast majority of Americans uh are just they are human beings with complicated views, who basically their 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 approach to abortion is they don't like it, they don't want to think about it, uh, they don't ever want to talk about it again, uh, and they want it to remain legal.
2: And, and we call those people pro-choice by default. Right. So we,
1: we call them all pro so, problem and, and so, so well, the, so the result... Hang on just one second. The the result of that is this. Uh, At any time, you can point to the American people and look at polling results, and if you ask the question one way, you will get polling results that say 80% of the American people want Roe to remain. And you can also get results that say 80% of the American people don't like abortion and would like some restrictions on it. Both of those things are true. Yep. And, and what that means is Roe's not going anywhere. Uh, and in the
2: meantime, all this low-hanging fruit of abortions we could actually prevent are not happening. So when right. people tell me I have blood on my hands because I'm not supporting Roe being overturned like a million years from now, but in the meantime, they are letting children and women who you know, are in this vulnerable spot fall through the cracks because they're not getting the adequate care and support they need, I would say blood is on their hands.
1: Right. Exactly right. And the thing is, is that the reason that that blood is on their hands is because they, <laughs> these are pro-life people who are supporting policies that are at war with the poor and the brown in this country. 100%. Uh, and, and and you know, that is, sorry, but that is absolutely... Uh, 100% this is something you could chalk up to GOP policies.
2: The Uh, most dangerous thing we ever did was make abortion a partisan issue. You know, people talk about Phyllis Shafley and the moral majority like they are some saviors. Mm -hmm. I think it's the exact opposite. I think they made it this horribly toxic climate where politicians are able to use the unborn as their human shields just to get votes and then really do nothing to actually affect change in any way. And that, again, I think is why we have to go at it culturally. Um, Yesterday, someone had had commented online that I'm for rape exceptions which is not true. I think it's I mean I have I have talked so much about women who have conceived during rape and the arguments that support a woman choosing life taking this violent horrific situation that happened and turning it into something that is, is the exact opposite of that, right? And I know these women. I know people who have conceived a child through rape. I also know women who um, you know, were born because of an assault and as a sexual assault survivor myself, like I understand the horrors of that so much. My only point was years ago, I had talked to this particular person who runs an organization focused on rape. And I said, I would love to do a video blog back and forth where we discuss the nuance of this because you see people who say they believe in a rape exception. Okay, so that would be then 1%. They believe that 99% of abortion should be illegal. And I think you could actually get a lot of those default pro-choicers on board with this because many of sure. them will say that the only cases they believe it should be, you know, life of the mother, incest, and abortion. Yeah. Okay, so we narrow it down now to 1%. Imagine the, the ability the pro-life movement would have then to support that 1% of women if we weren't spreading ourselves so thin by trying to stop 100% of all abortions. Right. And... I think that's a strategic thing. It's logical. It makes sense. Well, this leader never got back to me about that. And I guess didn't want to do the blog, but now she's telling people that I believe in a rape exception, which is patently false. Um, I believe that human beings should be free from violence for the duration of their life. That is literally my only belief that covers everything, which is why I will never fit into any political party. But when we, when we, go and just boil everything down to these quick talking points to dehumanize others and make them our enemies. That's the way we build our own support within our echo chamber. And I think right. it's incredibly dangerous because I know everyone feels like I'm a big turncoat. And, you know, it's funny, they keep telling me I'm pro-abortion. I, some people train for marathons. I train for internet bullying. Um, for the last 10 years, I have been <laughs> thickening my skin to this. And during the women's March, you know, that was the main thing I heard is, there's no such thing as a pro-life feminist and i just look at them and i'm like did you expect me to like go up in a puff of smoke just now when you said that like i'm still i'm gonna still keep keep protecting people like i I, it's not going to change anything i do so you can call me pro you know pro-abortion or fake feminist or whatever it literally does not change my actions one iota because at the end of the day i really do think that it is not politicians who save us it is It is us. We are the ones that save each other. It's our communities. It's seeing the need in our particular community because, you know, what's needed here in Dallas, uh, might not be the same thing that's needed in Chicago or Washington, D.C. So you get into your community, you get actively involved. We can make such a huge difference, a true difference. You know, you want to save lives by casting a vote, spending 10 seconds voting for someone. How about you actually invest your time and talents and energies into saving your neighbor? into saving an actual life, into standing up for the human dignity of actual people that you know, you can be so much more impactful doing that than getting wrapped up in policy and politicians. And and that's where we see all of the pro-life money going right now. You know, the amount of money that was sunk into Trump's campaign and then it wasn't even just help, you know, send us five, ten, two hundred dollars to get him elected. It became send us five, ten, two hundred dollars to make sure that he stays pro life, and then he doesn't do something, he doesn't defund claim parents. Send us five, ten, two hundred dollars so that we can. <laughs> no, send five, ten, two hundred dollars. Give me two hundred bucks,
1: and the baby gets it. Yeah, I mean, but oh. that's that's. That's the thing; is that it, it is often put that way, and and the thing that I find just amazing is that you know, and, and you're 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 seeing this, you're experiencing this, is that the pro-life movement has abandoned uh, the idea of trying to make converts. Uh, a guy named Eric Salmons uh, wrote a piece for Catholic Vote a couple of months back. In which I, I'm old enough to remember. I don't know how old you are. You're just a kid, I think. I'm 60.
2: I'm 35. <laughs> ah, you're so just I was a 10 kid. Years after Roe. Yeah, when yeah. I for 14, I was <laughs> negative
1: 10. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I'm old enough to remember back in the 70s there was a branding issue. Uh, as as uh, American politics began to sort itself out as to how they were going to approach Roe uh the democrats realized okay we're going to be the pro choice party uh and republicans realized this is a massive wedge issue we can we can use these people uh and and so there was a branding question that came up uh and i was i was and remain uh, totally in favor of the term pro-life. The, the argument that was almost immediately put forward was, you guys are just anti-abortion. You're not pro-life. You don't care about uh, uh, life after birth. And so the pro-life movement said, no, we are pro-life. We we are in favor of human life. This, by the way, of course, is it's what you just said. It's also exactly the way uh, uh, Catholic teaching expresses it, that we defend the sanctity of human life and the dignity of human life from conception to natural death. That is, that's it. Um, And so the pro-life movement initially said, yes, that's what we believe. Um, Conception to natural death. Then in the 80s, uh, as the GOP began to figure out that this was an invaluable wedge issue, what they began to do was nibble away at and attack uh, uh, the idea of preserving human life from conception to natural death. So uh, a Catholic uh, cardinal uh, uh, wrote a a, a document describing what he called the seamless garment. Uh, And the idea of the seamless garment is exactly a consistent life issue. In other words, human life is to be protected from conception to natural death, and that is going to, that's going to mean that we have to think about how do uh, families uh, make a sufficient living so that they can raise uh, children. Uh, for Catholics, that includes things like uh, bearing in mind, you know, uh, uh, contraception, you know, natural family planning, this kind of thing. Uh, but the Republican Party didn't want to hear that because the Republican party has a lot of people that it wants to rob, harm and kill. Uh, it wants, you know, the death penalty, very important. Uh, uh, you know, various wars, the use of torture, uh, and of course making sure, uh, that employers, uh, can, can get away with paying their, uh, employees, the absolute bare minimum, uh, all very, very important. Uh, And so what happened was you got this notion uh, started to be put forward that abortion is the only thing that matters. Uh, And why are we talking about the minimum wage as long as abortion is happening anywhere in the world? And who cares about torture or unjust war or all these other things because abortion is the only thing that matters? And so it was a kind of a shell game. And the result... For the pro-life movement, which bought into this hook, line, and sinker, has been that the pro-life movement gave up uh, trying to make converts uh, and began to uh, uh, take it in exactly the direction that you're describing, where it's it's us versus them, and if you if you are even just slightly uh, wobbly on uh pro life issues then uh you're a heretic to be burnt not a potential convert uh Absolutely. and so and so the result is what what you're experiencing um you didn't say i'm renouncing my pro life beliefs abortions for all all you did <laughs> was say maybe there's another way to approach this issue
2: well, uh, maybe we address the root. We stop just picking at the bud, and we go to the root and see yeah. what's driving women to abortion in the first place. And
1: yeah, uh, no, you're no impure. Yeah. <laughs> that makes you impure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and that's really it. You know, is the is the pro life movement is not about making converts anymore. It's about searching out and burning heretics.
2: Which good luck with that, because even within their own tent, they, they're shooting inside. They're making it smaller and smaller and smaller. So right, right. Again, that's Why we almost have to have a different way. And to your point of branding, I think that that's where we have to understand there was a really large pro-life organization that makes a lot of really beautiful graphics. And one of them that they had uh, last year was this giant ship, and it was like the SS Mm Pro-Life. And on it, they had all these um, boxes that said, you know, immigration and death penalty and war, and the ship was sinking because we took on too much. And so right. it watered down abortion. Well, that's cute for a meme. And maybe right. that works for some people. I've found the exact opposite to be true. Right. The more that I talk about these other issues, the more people are willing to listen to me talk about abortion. Exactly. Again, they, they care what you know, when they know that you care. And so in practice, finding that when i talk about these other issues i had vice news on hbo was following me around the march for life last year and recorded us and did this I think, very fair piece where I was talking about my mom being faced with me as a teen pregnancy. She was 19 years old and how easily it would have been for her to have an abortion. Life was not easy. We struggled with poverty. She had multiple failed marriages. I mean, I am the poster child for, you know, all of the arguments for why abortion is necessary because otherwise your kid will have to deal with this. Like, no, man, I'm so glad I'm alive. (laughs) Because life's hard. It's better than being dead. And then, you know, as my life progressed, I ended up with my own pregnancy at 16 years old, and it was terrifying, and I remember so vividly the feeling of wanting to rip my stomach off of my body and run away from it, like it's mm. it's terrifying when something's happening inside of you, and you, you can't get away from it, and you know, having to, to deal with that, but within that chaos, the only thing that quieted that storm was people telling me they loved me and they supported me. And so I have taken both of these experiences, you know, being a baby saver because I feel very kindred to the fetus, to the unborn child, since I could have easily been on the chopping block myself, but then also knowing what it's like to be a scared teenage girl. And it's given me so much empathy for that position as well. And I think you have to have both of them in order to, effectively reduce abortion. I think you have to understand both. And when you only care about the child who has no say in this, unfortunately, you know, we talk a lot about bodily autonomy and consent, but that's completely disregarded when it comes to the unborn human being. So when I can take those same arguments that feminists use for why we need to protect women, which I 100% agree with, and I can apply them to this other human being that is even more vulnerable in this situation, they're willing to listen to me. And I would argue that that's good branding. I would argue that, yeah. you know, once we actually start reaching to the other side and speaking their language, not yelling Bible at them or GOP talking points, but start listening to them and saying, this is what you're concerned about. Cool. I'm concerned about that, too. This is where I think you need to, you know, bring your consistency even further. Let's yes. give rights to more human beings.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and that was you know, I, I mentioned earlier Eric Salmon's piece uh, on Catholicvote.org. Uh, precisely what he was articulating was what that, was what that ship poster was saying. He says, I, "I don't want to be pro-life anymore." That was basically the, uh, the point of his article. Uh, "I'm not pro-life anymore. I'm just anti-abortion." And it was like, you realize that that was exactly the accusation that was being made 40 years ago. Uh, that you had no real interest in human life, you just you just wanted to focus on this one thing, uh, and th- we can't do that as Christians. We can't say, "Well, you know, there are a lot of people that I would like to harm, rob, and kill," uh, <laughs> <laughs> but as long as I'm anti-abortion, then I'm golden. Uh, you, that's you can't do that. Uh, you know
2: what? Though I applaud his honesty. More of that, please. Well. That separates- Pro-life movement from the anti-abortion movement like yesterday.
1: Well, yeah, uh, and, and I think that that's happening. And that's where things like new wave feminists uh, are, are, are they're, they're harking back uh, to that actual Christian teaching, which is that human life is, is, has dignity from conception to natural death. And Which is that's... a
2: funny secular organization made up of all religions and non-religious people, but right. in my mind, it's just a human. It's a human belief. It's treat others the way you want to be treated. It's the golden rule. I mean, it's just yeah. basic humanity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's but that's you know that's what the pro-life movement has to actually be fighting for. You know, almost this is one of the things that I, I've remarked on this in the past. One of the things that kind of drives me crazy. Uh, As somebody who would love to be able to talk about more of the faith than just the fifth commandment, (laughs) that's kind of what our focus is constantly on, is we're constantly just going back to you shall not kill. And it's like, there's got to be more than just not killing people, but um, uh, so much of our civilization really is ordered toward uh, people asking, well, can I kill this person? When do I get to kill? There must be sometimes when I get to kill.
2: There's plenty of killing on both sides. And that's why I love your point about not voting for the lesser of two evils, but voting to lessen evil. Yes. Because... No side is pure. No no side whatsoever. No organization is pure. There, um, Joe Rogan just did a stand up where he was talking about vegans. And he's like, I'm sure most vegans are totally nice. But if you take 100 people who think the same way and put them in a group, you're going to get a couple idiots. And <laughs> that's, And the idiots are the ones everybody focuses on, right? The ones who yeah. are not consistent and who are insane in the way that... They act, and that's what we're seeing. You know, we're gonna we're gonna humanize the unborn pe- person by dehumanizing everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not gonna
1: work. Yeah, well, and it, yeah, it is. You know, and and we've now reached a point where you know I'm we are literally watching, you know, on the on the national stage as people say, perhaps. The pro life movement can achieve its goals by allying with Nazis. Maybe that's the way forward. (laughs) What are you doing? You know?
2: (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. You're known I think it's almost, you know, I've had so many people pour out just love and encouragement and I've appreciated it so much. I also had a pro life leader. Who, who went to federal prison for attempting to bomb an abortion clinic yeah. who said this is this is ludicrous, you're so stupid and I was like, you know what? That actually means more to me than all the people who <laughs> are like the people who hate me, as long as they're the right people, that's actually probably a sign that maybe I'm on yeah. something.
1: Yeah, condemnation from, you know, bombers and Nazis is like that's <laughs> it's a kind of celebrity endorsement, I suppose. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But uh yeah so anyway I I I am so proud of you and you you did the right thing and I just wanted to have you on the show today to discuss that uh just because you know we're coming up on um an enormously significant uh election this uh, this election is going to be a referendum uh on not merely on uh, Trump, but on the whole cult that surrounds him, uh, and the backbone of that cult is, alas, uh, people who self-identify as conservative, pro-life Christians. Uh, and uh, you know, my great grief has been that the pro-life movement has done has done infinitely more damage to itself. In the last couple of years, uh, than all the enemies of the pro-life movement could possibly have done, uh, and so you give me hope uh, because you get it. You you recognize that it's about uh, the dignity of human life from conception to natural death. It's the, it's about the dignity of all human beings, uh, and and that it's about thinking differently. Uh, I think into people, account. Both when the...
2: people know better, they do better. So you should be encouraged. It's not just me. It is, you know, millennials get a bad rap for being selfish and self-absorbed. But as we're posting all of our selfies on Facebook, we're also looking at people in Uganda and Syria and people globally who are being affected by the choices America yeah. makes. And I think it has given us this great empathy for the world. And that's yeah. where I'm. This new movement, you know, I was saying we need a political party where the um, where the rather than an elephant or a donkey, it should just be a phoenix rising from the dumpster fire that's our <laughs> current political system. Yeah. So I mean, but I agree. Republicans, they said that they're you know the the moral party and that they're the family values party, and so we're going to hold them to a higher standard because of that. Yeah. I think that in the meantime we have to be careful, you know, not to dehumanize them in the same way, you know, we. And dehumanize Democrats. Like it needs to be something where we lead by example, and again, just challenge their consistency and talk about people, not or talk about ideas, not people. And so, you know, I'm not going to, as as Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. So I'm going to make sure that I keep trying to reach out to them because they need their own conversions just as much as the other side does.
1: Well, God bless you. You you give me hope, and I want to thank you for for being on today and uh I hope that uh, uh new wave feminists goes uh from glory to glory and continues to uh do the good work that you guys are doing. Thank you so much yeah, so you've been listening to uh, connecting the dots. Our guest today was Destiny Herndon de la Rosa, which by the way is a really epic name <laughs> um, i i just i just i I wanted to know it you're married, I think you said right I'm married. Okay. That's where
2: the Bella Rosa comes from.
1: Okay, so I was just going to say, I mean, did, did your husband at any point in his life ever finally get to say, I have a date with Destiny? Cause he that has.
2: People, people have actually bought him stuff that says Man of Destiny. Okay. So, yeah, we've definitely... We've that, makes definitely...
1: Me, that makes me super happy. All right, well, anyway, uh, you've been listening to Connecting the Dots. I'm your host, Mark Shea. We'll be back... Uh, Again, next time to talk more about life, the universe, and everything. Until then, have a great day. Bye-bye.
0: Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at woodhillcommunitycenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington. Home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com.